to know that the king wants me. Cannot tell you how thankful I am to see you with us this morning in church. God bless you. I see that all of you made it through the storms Friday night, Saturday morning, all day Saturday. We didn't have too many bad incidents. We did have a tornado-related comic show and disaster in North Carrollton uh, at um, Wesley and Tange's house. Tornado sirens went off and one of the little ones ran into the room and said, get up, get up, get up. We are, it's, it's storm. And Wesley jumped out of bed, forgot he had a bad foot, jumped right on that bad foot, began to holler and dance around. Tangy jumped up and run around in the dark and, and hit her toe and tore a toenail off. And so we did have some... Uh, we, <laughs> Had some damage from storms, but I see they survived it. Praise the Lord. Wow. Just take time to look over this congregation and see those beautiful faces of yours and to just thank God for you. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and go to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, we're continuing on our series of sermons, preparing ourselves for the decade. And the series of sermons is called The Abiding. What is it in your life and in my life that is abiding, remaining? What about our legacy? What about our time that we have? All of us, if we live through these next 10 years, I challenged you last week to think about a couple of things where you're going to be at a certain age, 10 years from now, how old will you be? What will happen in these next 10 years? See, this affects all of us, even teenagers, young people. You'll be finished high school, you'll be perhaps married, finished college. Some of us that are in our senior time of life will recognize a vast difference in our age, 10 years from now. But we all can understand one thing, that God has given us this time and let's make the very best we can out of this next decade. I want to talk about the good life today. I want to talk about the fact, and if you saw our post, you know that the title of the message is Starting Over at the End of the Road. Now, I don't know, I I know that in our children's sermon this morning, that we told the children that there would come times that perhaps their life would be changed. They would move. New location, new school, new friends, new everything. This also happens in all of our lives. We come to an end of the road. It may not be the end 
the permanent inn, and we're going to talk about that later on, but there is a Rhodes Inn where it will be the final destination. But before then, all of us face end of the road. It may be the fact that we retire after 35, 40 years of working at the same job and we come to the end of that, see end of the road. Or perhaps someone dies in our family, our wife, our husband. We come to the end of that relationship, the end of the road. Perhaps it's a graduation. We spent 12, 16 years, 18 years in school. And suddenly we recognize the end has come to that. Now we're from here. And that's what I want to deal with in the next 15 minutes. I want to talk about starting over at the end of the road. Because I want to tell you there are a couple of things you can do at the end of the road. A lot of folks just make them a comfortable spot. And they build a little place, a dwelling, and that's where they stay. When they come to the end of the road, that becomes the end of the road. They just make it comfortable and stay there. They set up housekeeping. They begin to do things that they never done before, but yet in all of it, they just have reached it doesn't just become the end of the road, it becomes the end. Nothing telling beyond that, nothing exciting, nothing adventurous, nothing to accomplish. I want to talk about a man, and we're talking about the abiding. Actually, there are two men we're going to be talking about in this. That's the man Moses and the man Abraham. Moses, for example... Moses came to the end three times in his life, and each of them had, had happened to be at 40-year intervals. Forty years that he found him suddenly that he did something. He committed murder, and he came to the end of the road of his life, and he suddenly fled for his life, and he spent 40 years in a strange location. A lot of stuff happened during that 40 years. But then he had another end of the road experience. Where he came face to face with God. At a bush of fire. And then he had another 40 years experience. Of traveling in the wilderness with people. Who refused to go on to do God's will. Abraham is another example. And that's where I want you to go in the scripture and look at the end of Abraham's life. Chapter 25, verse 7 and 8. And the Bible says, this is the sum of the years. I started to title my message today, the sum of life. But look at that. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life. Which he lived 175 years. Who'd have ever thought it? He wouldn't have, if you would have talked to him at 90 years old, he would have said, hey dude, I'm at the end of the road. He didn't know, he didn't have a child, he didn't have anything. But God had given him promise, and that promise was, you're going to have a son, and you're going to be the father of a nation. 
And he just asked God, how's this going to be? It can't be. I mean, look at me. My wife's beyond the age of bearing children, and I am too. Did you know he went on to have eight sons? After 90? Come on now. Give me some. <laughs> I love the thumbs up. Woo! Praise God. Talking about grandsons and grandchildren. <laughs> but here is it. That at the end of what was to be a road was actually major determinations of who you are and what you're going to do. Listen, verse 8, Then Abraham breathed his last and died, I love this, in a good old age, an old man and full of years. Now, the, term, the, the, the actual words of full of years is fullment of life, a good life, and was gathered to his people what a legacy, what a word to end that a man that came to the end of roads several times in his life. I was studying this week and one of my favorite preachers is Jonathan Edwards who lived in the 1700s when our country was yet young and listen to something that I want to say about Jonathan Edwards he was a Puritan preacher in the 1700s. He was one of the most respected preachers of all times. He attended Yale at the age of 13 and later went on to become president of, of Princeton College. He married his wife Sarah in 1727 and they were blessed with 11 children. But listen, every night when Mr. Edwards was home, he would spend an hour conversing with his family and then praying a blessing over each child every day. Jonathan and his wife passed on a great godly legacy. There was a research that was done, a man by the name of A.E. Winship wanted to examine what happens when a man, and I could talk about Jonathan's end-of-the-road experiences in his life when he met Jonathan Edwards. He only lived for 55 years. But in this life, I want to show you what happens to the legacy of a man who knows what to do at every stage of commitment in his life. Jonathan Edwards, and I want to read this. Out of his descendants, of all of his descendants, he had one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 
uh, uh, professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. There was another man that they did a research at the same time that Jonathan Edwards lived. This man also had dead-end road experiences. As a matter of fact, one of his dead ends was that he was convicted of a crime and was sentenced. His name was Max, Max Jukes. Max Jukes. He came to people's attention when the family tree of 42 different men in the New York prison system were traced back to him. He lived in New York at about the same times that Edwards did, and the Juke family originally was studied to see why this man had and what was his legacy. Listen to Juke's descendants. They included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 convicted felons, 310 paupers, and 440 who were physically wrecked by addictions to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 of them died prematurely. There's two legacies. Both of these men had same opportunities, same lifetime, but the descendants bore the results of their decisions at critical times at the end of their roads. Every one of us and every one of you come to end of roads. You have some of you this year. We heard a testimony earlier in the service of a gentleman just before Christmas who went to the doctor and the doctor gave him news. It wasn't good news. It appears that you have cancer. Suddenly, everything changed in his life. Priorities changed. His outlook on things changed. He went through the Christmas season waiting to hear. Finally, the results of the test came back, and the results were, you're clear. No cancer. That's a marvelous thing. But you see, he came to an end of a road. And he suddenly realized, if it goes this way, then I'm going to have to make some major changes of my life. But the truth is, it's an opportunity. An opportunity to realize, I got my life back. I got my hopes back. I got my dreams back. I, I can see my children, my grandchildren. And every one of us, we have come, and many of you today, at a point, the end of your road may be of your own doing. You may have done something that got you fired or something that, that caused you to suddenly be in a situation. Some of you, you didn't have anything to do with it. Your husband may have left you. Your wife may have walked off. 
and left with someone else and you're at the end of that road. What do you do at the end of the road? Let me give you five things. I'll only do two this morning and the remaining of them in the evening service. But I want to give you all five right now. Here's what you must do. It doesn't matter. You may say, well, I'm at a place. But listen, here are the five things you are to do. Number one is find a purpose. You cannot just drift. God, you've got me here. I'm at this point of my life. Now I'm at an end of a road. Do I just build me a settled place where I can enjoy myself? Your purpose will be found in one or two ways because you're going to do one of these two things. At your purpose, it will be all about you. You will begin to develop an, an, an attitude that now I have come to a place where it's going to be about me. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. I want to be who I want to be. And I want to tell you, that's enjoyable, but it is short-lived. Come on, somebody. It's short-lived. You'll only last for a while because anything that is turned inward toward you is going to produce death. There's no life in it. Life can only be found in the fact that you can do the other thing and that is others. Where you begin to understand that's what God gave me life for. That's why I'm at the end of this road is to determine now who can I bless? Who can I benefit? What life can I touch? How many people can I change for good? Who and what can God use me for in my future? So number one is purpose. Number two is priority. You begin at the end of the road to put together what's really important and what's not. And the things that you've done in the past where you've spent 15 hours a day watching television, you might determine, hey, this isn't good priorities. Come on now. So the second is priorities. The third is power. Where that you understand, I've got to have some strength to do this. I've got to have some something in me that more than what I've that got me here, I've got to have something to get me beyond here. I've got to have a power. And where does that source of power come from? And that's what we'll be talking about tonight. And number four is persistence. You cannot, because at the end of the road, there is one thing that you're going to constantly be hearing the sirens. You're going to constantly be hearing the woo to stay here. Don't do anything. Don't exhaust yourself. So you've got to have persistence. And number five is possession. What is important that I own? What is important in my life? What are my possessions? Are they material? Are they spiritual? Are they family? What are my possessions? And you begin to reach out. What do I do? At the end of your road, you find purpose. You find that God can use you and that you have meaning and that your life has meaning. Let me just give you in closing the story of a man all of you have heard this song. This song. What a friend. 
we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. We're going to do a little changing. We're not going to go to that song. I throw this on our gunny, and he does. He likes structure. This is the end of a road for him this morning. Jonathan Edwards, I talked about his legacy. The man that wrote the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, Joseph Servin. Let me give you a little bit of detail of his life. When Joseph had finished university studies on a beautiful spring morning of 1844, he returned home on this beautiful spring morning. The hills of Ireland were green. The clouds displayed beautiful pictures in the sky. He returned to his home outside of Dublin. Jonathan had been, or Joseph, I mean, excuse me, Joseph, had been engaged to his childhood sweetheart. The day before their wedding, Joseph had, and she had decided to meet each other on the banks of the river Bond. He was so excited. The whole life, his whole future was ahead of him. She arrived a little earlier than him. While she waited, her horse was startled by a noise and so the horse threw her into the river, the raging waters. Joseph arrived just as they were pulling her body out of the waters. And he says, he looked into the face of the beautiful woman that he had planned to spend the rest of his life with. And he said, my world, the bottom of my world suddenly fell out. For days and days later, everywhere he would go, everything he would look at in Ireland, in Dublin, would remind him of that beautiful face. And the only thing that he could do at the end of his road, the end of everything, That he went before God, fell on his knees and said, God, where do I go from here? God began to deal with him. and said, I'm with you. I'll always be with you. I'll be your friend. And he and God decided that it would be better that he left Ireland in 1845 
he arrived in Ontario, Canada, where he would spend the rest of his life. He settled at a place called Port Hope. Christ and the Sermon on the Mountain became his life. He spent the rest of his time helping anybody who would need him. You'd see him all day. Every day you'd find him on a road walking to someone's house, a widow, or someone in need. And he helped them in whatever he could do. When he walked those roads, he did it for 40 years. He became the, known as the Good Samaritan of Port Hope. But in his process of doing all of this, he became a tutor also of children. And in his work in tutoring at a certain home, he met and fell in love with another young lady, Elias Rose. They had planned to get married and they had set their date. In 1854, he would be married, except for one thing. A few days before their wedding, Elias became severely ill. He nurtured her, he prayed, he loved her, but she died. At the end of this, again, at the end of a road, Jonathan turned, and there was someone with him at the end of that road, and his name was Jesus. And he said, friend, what do I do from here? God laid it on his heart, and he wrote a poem. And he sent that poem to his mother in Ireland, and it went like this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Are you at the end of your road this morning? Are you at the road of the new beginning of your life? You need a friend. And every time you come to the end of the road, that friend will be there. I feel his presence in this place right now. And I really believe that God is speaking to hearts in this place. I don't want you to stand. I want you to reverence his presence. But I want us to sing this beautiful old hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus.